Good morning, good morning. Good to see y'all on this chilly spring day. How are we doing today? All right. Awesome. Well, hey, it's so good to be with you guys. Just as Marshall was saying, love being a part of this church family. Love looking around and seeing your faces. And I also see some new faces. If you're new with us, welcome. Uh, my name is Joe Polino. I have the joy of getting to serve as the lead pastor here uh, and excited to get into God's Word together. Uh, we are in a series called Make Us One. Make Us One. And it comes from a prayer that Jesus prayed for the church, for you and me. In John 17, before Jesus goes to the cross, Jesus prays for his church that those who would believe in his, in his message through his disciples, that they would become one in the same way that he and the Father are one and that they would be in him and that so that the world would know who Jesus is. So this year, we figured, well, if Jesus is praying it, we're gonna pray with Jesus. That seems like a safe bet. Um, so our prayer this year, we're gonna say it like this, is God, make us one with you, make us one with one another so the world will know who Jesus is, okay? So we're gonna say it together. You can repeat after me. So as if it's a prayer, God, would you make us one with you? Make us one with one another so the world will know who Jesus is. There you go. So you're gonna hear that on repeat. Hopefully it'll be seared into your memory by the end of the year. And if Jesus is praying it, then I think it's a good chance that that's actually gonna happen, okay? That unity piece. And so we're gonna lean into that. Um, and, but the question is, how do we grow in oneness with God, our relationship with God? How do we grow in unity or communion with other believers and partner together so other people actually know who Jesus is? How do we do that practically? It's great to pray that, but where in scripture can we learn how to do that? Well, in praying through different parts of the scripture, Ephesians was highlighted as the book for us this year. And if you read the letter of Ephesians, it even builds off of unity with God, unity with the church, so that we can partner together so other people will know him. So that's where we're gonna be uh, this year. We actually kicked off this series by not looking at Ephesians 1, but at Acts 19, which talks about how the church in Ephesus started. So if you miss those introductory uh, messages, it would be helpful to go back and listen to it as context. Uh, we hit a few light topics like miracles, deliverance from evil spirits, baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, communal repentance, all that stuff. So really light topics, um, but that was a lot of fun. That was rich. So we're gonna jump into Ephesians though. So you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 1. Uh, you can also use the Bibles that are in the seatbacks in front of you. It'll also be up on the screen. But as you're turning there, um, I just have to uh, confess a fear that I have as we enter into Ephesians. My wife and I were talking about this, is that for many of us in the room, this book is very familiar to us. Uh, in fact, if you were to ask me in college, what is my favorite book, or, or even recently, it would be the book of Ephesians. Uh, in fact, I'm not alone in having a little bit of a crush on Ephesians. Uh, theologians have called this the, uh, the, 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 the cream of the crop as far as Paul's letters go. Uh, people wonder if, what would happen if in the Reformation, instead of Galatians, Martin Luther would have used Ephesians 
uh, as his main text. I mean, there's just, there's, there's, there's so much richness in the book of Ephesians. And yet, if it's familiar to us, as with most things, it can, we can lose the significance or the importance of it. Um, you know, one of the things that helps me reclaim the importance or wonder of things that are familiar to me are my young kids. So I have four young kids. Uh, the oldest is six and the youngest is seven months old. So there's a whole lot of first time learning that's going on at our house. In fact, this last week we had spring break and so our uh, kids were out of daycare. And so we decided that would be a great opportunity to go see the grandparents uh, down in Clifton, Texas. Uh, so get a little fresh air, a little help from the grandparents and get to see them too. But maybe it was a little bit of a selfish motivation, uh, just keeping it real, uh, giving grandparent help. And so as we're out there in the country, um, one of the things that I love is when it's a clear night sky is to step outside and to look at the stars because we just don't get that kind of view in Dallas. And this past Christmas, my oldest, uh, she, who, who's just turned six, she got a telescope for Christmas. Like who gets a telescope for Christmas at six? Like, so uh, she's kind of into science. I don't know where she gets that, not from me, um, but she is uh, just into discovering like nature and looking at things. And so we were looking at the stars and they're not up for one, most of the time when it's dark outside, like we try to put them to bed early. But as they were out there looking at the moon, looking at the stars, it was just like, wow, I can't believe there's so many stars. And we got to look at the telescope through the moon and I couldn't figure out how to get other stars yet, but we'll get there. But we looked at the moon and they were just like in awe of things that for me and for you probably, we take for granted or we just forget that are there. And I think as we enter into this passage in Ephesians, I, I want us to just say, Lord, would you help us to enter in with a sense of wonder again at what you have done? Okay, so actually, I just wanna invite you to go ahead and pray with me. And I'm gonna pray that over us. So Father, I just wanna pray from Ephesians 1.17, where it says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know him better. And I pray that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which we are called in you, the riches of his glorious inheritance for his holy people, for Antioch Dallas, and his incomparably great power for us to believe. God, would you help us to see things fresh today with open eyes and open ears. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So you guys ready to dive into Ephesians? Okay. So we're in Ephesians 1. And just for context, if you're new with us, Paul is writing the letter of Ephesians while he is a prisoner uh, under Roman protection, under Roman guard. So he is probably chained to a Roman guard right now. And uh, now for most people, these circumstances of being in prison would be reason to write either a SOS letter or a pity party of some kind. But what happens is that Paul explodes with praise in this opening chapter, so much so that when we get to the verse, verses three through 14, 
is a 202 word run-on sentence in the Greek. There is no punctuation. There's hardly any room to take any kind of breath in the Greek. It is just like a stream of consciousness, like a musician writing down lyrics as fast as he can. Like it is just coming out of him. And this is all while he's under house arrest. And so there is so much packed into these uh, these verses, these verse three through 14, the way that we've decided to go through them is to break them into three sections. And so last week, Donnie looked at verses three through six on God the Father. Today, I'm gonna go through verses seven through 10 on God the Son. And then next week, Marshall is gonna bring us home and finishing this up on looking at God the Holy Spirit. Okay, so today we're looking at God the Son. Um, I might be partial to that. They're all good, you know, but I feel like I got, a, I got a good part. So here we go. And here's what we're gonna see in verses seven through 10. Here's, here's my outline if you guys wanna take notes. It is that God the Son makes us one through being in Christ, redeemed through his blood and forgiven of sins. God the Son makes us one through being in Christ, redeemed through his blood and forgiven of sins. Okay, so we're gonna read in verse seven, beginning in verse seven through verse 10. It says, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Wow. Okay, so number one, God the Son makes us one through being in Christ. God the Son makes us one through being in Christ. So where does it say in Christ? Well, let's read it again one more time. It says, in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. There it is again. To be put into effect when times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth. So we see in these three verses, in Christ said, two times, but this exact phrase in Christ is actually said 91 times in the New Testament and 13 times in the book of Ephesians alone. The expressions of in Christ, in the Lord, or in him occur 164 times in the letters of Paul alone. And just by contrast, the word Christian is only used three times in the Bible. So, in Christ is by far the most common expression used in scripture to describe a follower of Jesus. Now, I would say, it, it does say in Acts uh, chapter 12, verse 26, that the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. So I think we can use Christians, you know, for our namesake. You don't need to like change the name. And my point isn't to like say we need to change how we refer to each other. You know, it'd be an interesting discussion. But my point is more, if this is the most common way scripture defines who we are and it's not even close, then I think it's important we understand what it means. Amen? So that's what we're gonna do. What does it mean to be in Christ? And so 
again, things that are familiar, we take for granted. We're gonna slow down and I'm, our six-year-old is learning to read. And so we're just gonna learn basic, uh, basic English and prepositions. So simply put, being in something has to do with location or geography. If you're in something, it has to do with where you're located or your geography, right? So we are in the sanctuary right now. We are in the city limits of Dallas right now. So to be in Christ has to do with location or spiritual geography. We are in him. You guys tracking with me? So you might say, okay, I'm with you, but help me understand Jesus, a a very real person, who lived 2,000 years ago, walked the earth, was born incarnate, the the God in the flesh. He uh, said that he was the Messiah and the son of God, did miracles. Uh, Then he did not denounce his deity or his, his coming as a Messiah. So he went to the cross. He died in accordance with the scriptures, was raised again after three days and he ascended to the right hand of the father. That's the basic gospel. That's the basic storyline. So Jesus is in. So where is Jesus right now? Where is Jesus right now? He's at the right hand of the father interceding for us. That's what, that's what Marshall was sharing in the middle of the service. So how are we in Christ? Well, let's look at the scripture and see if we can get a little bit more understanding. Actually, it says, according to scripture, we live with two homes, a physical one and a spiritual one. And in fact, if you go to Ephesians, the very first part of it in Ephesians 1, verse two through three, it says, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. So the scriptures tell us that when we believe in Jesus, we actually have two homes. We have a physical location of to the God's holy people in Dallas, the faithful who are in Christ Jesus. So we have two, we have a physical location, we have a spiritual location. And scripture tells us that when we believe in Jesus, we change locations from being separate to, from God to being in Christ. So let's look at a different passage in Colossians 1. So Colossians 1 13 through 14 says, for he, Jesus, or for he, that's actually God the Father, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So this is a big deal. This is a big deal. Now, honestly, I'm not walking around on my Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, or even my Sunday afternoons thinking I'm in Christ right now. I'm in Christ right now. I'm in Christ right now. I'm just thinking like, you know, Siri, tell me where to go. Like where, where, like I'm thinking about physical location. You know, I'm thinking about things about my schedule, about who I'm going to meet where, but I think it's really important for us to consider how can we be reminded that we are in Christ as a foundation of our identity, as a foundation of who at our very roots that we, we have been transferred from one location of being separate from God to actually being in Christ. That's amazing. That is amazing. It is incredible. And there's other kind of, uh, I don't know what you call it, but two locations, two citizenships, two families. So let's just go through those. 
So a disciple of Jesus has two, loca- two locations. I just explained that, a physical one. So we're in Dallas right now. And right now, if you are in Christ, then you are, that, that's a spiritual location that you are in right now, in heavenly places. We also have two citizenships. You know, I'm, I'm a citizen of the United States, so an earthly nation. Maybe some of y'all are citizens of other nations here as well. But then we have, yeah, we got maybe Peruvian. Was that you, Alex? There you go, yeah, there you go. Shout out to Peru. But we're also citizens of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the one whom he loves that we just read about. Wow. And we also come from two families. There's the biological family we're born into. I'm a Polino. And there's a spiritual family that I'm born into. I'm in Christ. So this is rich stuff that honestly, uh, I would read people's signature, you know, they write an email and say, in Christ, so-and-so. I'm like, that's probably significant, but I don't, I know it's in the Bible, but I don't really fully know what it means. And even now, I'm just, as I was preparing for this, I was like, this, if this gets up like in our gut, like I feel like this could really help us understand the grace God's lavished on us, like it talks about, like we're in Christ, it's amazing. But the way that we're in Christ is not, I love how John Stott says it, it's not that we're just in, like we're not like a tool in a toolbox, like, hey, that tool is in the toolbox, or not like, hey, you know, we are in Christ in the same way that we have a passport that sits on the shelf in case of emergencies, you know, it's like, oh, if I need to see Jesus today, like I got my passport, you know, doesn't expire, you know, I'm, I'm good. Like that's not how we're in Christ. The way that Jesus talks about it is that we're in him like a branch in a vine or like a limb of a tree, you know, a, a branch on a tree. So I have a picture of orange trees. We just bought an orange tree from Costco because you're we like, hey, that'll be fun to have some orange, oranges one day. And you know, so, so when we're saying we are in Christ, yes, that's awesome that, wow, we have been blessed. That's a privilege, but there's also a purpose. And I would even say a responsibility that God's given us to steward to bear fruit. You know, another way to put it, Paul puts it is that we, we are in Christ in the same way that an arm is in the body. You know, if we were to be uh, in Christ in a way that just, you know, okay, I'm in Christ, but then I don't use my left arm. Like that would just be, uh, that would be kind of wasteful. It'd be weird. It would be unproductive, right? And so when you're in Christ, there's actually purpose and life flowing through you. It's alive. You guys following me? Okay, so I think you guys get the point, but like why, why does this matter for us today? So all of these blessings we experience from God the Father, here's why it matters. All these blessings we experience of God the Father towards us, they only happen when we're in Christ, according to the scriptures. Now there's common grace that God you know, has given to everyone. You know, the, the rain falls on the just and the unjust, but these blessings only come for those who are in Christ. And this is a big deal, okay? So remember, Paul is writing this letter as a prisoner for preaching the gospel. Now, why would Paul be locked up and eventually killed for spreading a message of blessing. Well, let's look back at Acts 19 and remember why. 
So Paul is preaching the gospel that Jesus alone saves in a culture like Ephesus that picks and chooses which idol to worship based on their need. So if they have issues with an enemy, they will go to the God of war in Roman mythology of the God Eris. If they would like to start a family, they go to the goddess of fertility of Artemis, right? And so Paul, if Paul was just saying, hey friends, I have a really great idea to include in your idol regimen that'll really improve your life. And he says, Jesus is one of the myriad of gods to be included in the pantheon. Do you think that he would be persecuted or get pushed back? No, because that's what everyone did. But what he did is that he actually said, Jesus is the only way to be reconciled to the Father. So much so that as he was preaching and teaching this, he was getting pushed back from the Jews first, from his own people, but then he would take the disciples to the school of Tyrannus, the hall of Tyrannus, and as he taught there for two years, everyone heard the gospel. Well, this started to disrupt the businesses like the silversmiths and the craftsmen in Ephesus to the point where there's this one leader named Demetrius and he organizes all the other idol makers and says, our prophets are going down. And I'm hearing that there's this new message coming from this guy, Paul, that is eating into our prophets and we gotta do something about it. And so does he go and slander Paul for what he does? No, he actually is pretty accurate in what Paul's saying. So in Acts 19, 25 and 26, here's what Demetrius rallies the fellow craftsman industry to revolt against Paul in. He says, you know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and practically the whole providence of Asia. He says that God's made by human hands are no gods at all. So it sounds like he got the message. He understands. He doesn't like it. And there's a whole riot that breaks out to the point where for hours and hours, they're in a frenzy. And at this, at, at this time, Demetrius is actually using an ideal moment where there's a pilgrimage to the temple of Artemis. And so he's, 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 taking, he's seizing the moment and he's stirring up opposition to the gospel. And, and what's amazing to me though, is that Paul, like his friends are holding him back. In fact, people in the city are saying, Paul, don't go out there. But he's like, let me in, let me in, let me talk to him. I just wonder if he was like, I have a shot at thousands of people right now. Like, what could that be like? It's just a whole different mentality that he had. It's amazing. But for us today, why does this matter? Because maybe we can't connect with the pagan temple idol worship. Like, I don't think you're gonna go, you know, to the Dollar General store and pick up like uh, an Artemis idol or anything like that. Like, that, that, that's not for us. Like, we can't relate to that. But maybe the idol of seeking a little bit more money to make our lives better would relate. I mean, that's something that they would do is worship a God so that they would get more blessing, maybe a little bit bigger crop, maybe a little bit more. And, but we could just as e easily seek the love of money as our idol to give us a better life. And in fact, man, I feel that temptation in that pool regularly. So what's another idol that we might 
wrestle with, even if it's not a literal one, you may look down on the idea that they would have temple prostitutes and they would be, you know, quick, like intimacy. And just like, that's, that's, that's disgusting. But all around us, we see the sex slave trade and pornography industry making billions and billions of dollars as we desperately look for intimacy or power through the idol of sex. I think this relates to us big time. And the other one I thought about is that we might not be thrown into a riot where people are shouting, great is the goddess Artemis. Like we might not see that happen, but we are feeling the push of a secular culture where we are told it's fine to believe whatever we want, just keep it private and don't believe it too much. That resonate with anyone? I feel like that those are our modern day challenges that I think we can really relate to that, that Paul and the early church in Ephesus faced. And yet when Paul's in prison, this is what erupts forward from him. That we are in Christ and we have been lavished with his grace. And so what do we do with this? Well, so many things, but I think one is just simply to be reminded of the privilege that we have of being in Christ. The privilege that we have of being lavished with his grace. And the other thing is just to be reminded too of the responsibility that we've been given. Like it says that God disciplines his children, those he loves, and that he disciplines us for our good so that like there's a purpose, there's a purpose with us, church. Like he, he encourages the leaders and the people in one another to admonish one another, encourage one another. As long as it is today, we have a purpose. We have, we, in our generation, it, like we have an opportunity to see God move, amen? And so we gotta, we gotta remember that. But for me, you know, it just starts with, I can, I can drift into willpower or religious performance and I just come back again, I'm gonna be like a broken record of this, I need Jesus and Jesus, I surrender to you afresh today. And so I think my exhortation, my encouragement for us of how do we lean into being in Christ is just celebrating it, but also how do we walk it out? It's just saying, Jesus, would I surrender and whatever comes up in that blank, we have that slide up there, Jesus, I surrender blank to you today and trust in you. And just to continue that on repeat this year and say, Lord, would you search me and know me so that I can be free of idols and I can walk with you. You guys, you guys following me? Okay. Whew, so that's just, that's point one. So, and that's just the first two words of verse seven. So we'll get through it. It's okay. So for me, well, I'll just, I'll just be honest. So for me, just what could this actually look like of surrender? Man, I feel like this past week, it was the illusion of control I needed to surrender to Jesus. That if I could get this thing done or do this well or prepare this sermon or be with my kids, like then things would be where they need to be. And I just feel like Jesus was saying, you need to give me that illusion of control. You're not in control. So that's an example of what it could look like, a real life example of just saying, okay, I need to walk in faith and I need to trust you. So yeah, and then I confess those things, uh, which I just did and I feel free. So there we go. Um, so how, but how do we actually get in Christ? If we go from being separate to in Christ, how do we actually get in Christ? Well, it tells us 
Next, in verse seven, it says, God the Son makes us one through being in Christ and redeemed through his blood. So let's read in verse seven. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. So what does this mean? Again, just the power of simple definitions. The word for redemption has to do with purchasing something. So redemption means to release from another's possession by payment, okay? So on a, and in one way, it's when you go buy groceries and pay money, you are redeeming these groceries from their possession into yours. It's kind of a long way to say it, but that's what you're doing with your tap and pay, okay? You're redeeming it. In a more biblical sense, redemption means release from slavery by ransom, so if you go by just, you know, purchasing something at Target or, or wherever, that's redemption. But in biblical terms, this has the language of rescue, of deliverance, of death to life. Okay, do y'all feel the weight of that? Redemption means release from slavery by ransom, by payment. So your position when you are in Christ is that you have been redeemed and so you are no longer under the enemy's control of sin, evil, or idols. They have no power over you. Now we still have to work out, uh, walk with Jesus and we are still in our earthly bodies and one day this struggle with sin will be done, but that doesn't change the fact that this is true. So how do we get redeemed? It's through his blood. So what does through mean? Through describes how you enter into a place. It's how you enter into a place. So I went through the front door to get into my house. I had to go through a course to be certified. So it's through Jesus's blood that he pays the price for you. This is how we get in. And again, this is basic for a lot of us, but I just wanna say again, like why does this matter? Doesn't God love everybody? Yes, he does. Aren't we all God's children? Yes and no. Here's what I would say to that. We are all God's creation and he loves us all, but it's only through those who go through Christ who are adopted in the sonship. So again, it goes to why is Paul in prison, the exclusivity of Jesus above all God's? And here again is the redemption payment must be by the blood of Jesus. So let's look at scripture. Some examples in Ephesians 1, 5, it says that God the Father, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. We're adopted into sonship through Jesus Christ. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then John 10, nine, Jesus says, I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. So we need a message of the full gospel, which is grace and truth, that we need a rescuer, we need a deliverer, we need a payment for our sin. And so for some of us, that might be news to us. And for others of us, we might know that, 
But the more we actually, and it feels heavy on one sense, but it actually is a springboard into more worship because of how much Jesus has done on our behalf. Amen? So how do you enter into Christ? How do you go through Christ? Well, Romans 10, 9 says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, then you will be saved. It's, the, it, it's just a trust in him. I receive it. <laughs> and you are in Christ and you are redeemed by his blood. It's amazing. So if that's you today, praise God. And if you're already in Christ today, then there's one more thing that the scripture mentions before we close this message that Jesus redeems us from, and that is forgiveness of sins. So God the Son makes us one through being in Christ, redeemed through his blood, and then forgiven of sins. Forgiven of sins. He forgives us from the guilt of past, present, and future sin through his blood. It's all paid for. You know, when I was in... Um, when I was in college, actually I was out of college and I was working my first job. I was a financial, uh, I was a retirement plan consultant for a financial company. Um, and I was a small group leader at my church and I was doing all the things that they had, you know, I was checking all the boxes. You know, I was, I was giving, I was praying, I was trying to grow, I was having my daily quiet time. All, the, all those things, I, I felt like I was doing pretty good but I still feel like there was a block between me and God. I don't know if you've ever felt like that where you're going to church or you're, and you're reading the Bible and you're just like, I just don't get it. I kind of was at that place of like, okay, I'm doing the things and I don't, it's not that I lost my faith. I just did not feel like a son. I didn't, I didn't something was disconnecting from me and I was frustrated. And then things started to go south in some of the relationships I had. So relationship, that I thought was gonna be the one that would be uh, my wife, like did not happen. It, it broke up just before engagement. And then uh, I ended up leaving my current job thinking I would know what to do next. And honestly, for three months, I drew a blank and I was signing up to bus tables. So here I was 25, have a college degree, uh, running out of money, have no relationship status, uh, don't know what I wanna do, just the epitome of lost, and I was angry. I was really angry at God. And I had a wrestling match with God for like a few months. Um, and if you ever do that, God wins. It's just a matter of how long is it gonna take. Um, and in that, just a long story short, he revealed in my heart that I had, I had self-righteousness in my heart. I had pride and that I actually was treating God as if he owed me something for what I was doing. And he, was, he led me to the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15. And I always thought the parable of the prodigal son where the younger son goes and you know, spits in his father's face and says, give me my inheritance now and goes wild living and wastes all his money. But then he comes to his senses, come back. It's all about that encounter of the father and the younger son. And they embrace and he's like, he can't even get his prepared speech out. It's like, God, I don't, you know, Father, I don't deserve to be here. And he's like, you know, he doesn't even listen. He just, he just reinstates him and he puts him back in the family and he throws a party, which is, I think, half of what that is about. But what he showed me is that the older son who was outside the party was angry with his father because he felt like, 
he was doing all the right things, but he was never even given a goat, he said, much less a fatted calf. And this son of yours who wasted all this, you know, gets a party. And, and so you, you come to realize, and then what the father says to him is that, son, everything I have is yours. But the elder son, because of his pride, did not have a relationship with the father. And, and God was saying, I want, to, I want to free you of that. I want to free you of that. And I realized, whew, just that the older son is actually more blind than the younger son because it's harder to see. And so in that, I was just like undone. And I actually, I brought with me during that time, um, I was still leading a small group and it just hit me. And I have, I, I went to UPS store and I actually laminated this uh, scriptures with, with the just simple gospel scriptures on it. And I started reading it and I said, I'm just gonna let this wash over me and cleanse me from self-righteousness. So it has like 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on my behalf so that I might become the righteousness of God in him. And I would just like receive that. Um, and it, it's just been, it's, it's carried with me through all these years. Now, so why do I say that? I just feel like one of the things that I want for our church, but also as I was praying for this service, I feel like God wants to heal hearts today. And it might be that your heart is in Christ, but you just, God just wants to take, take a washcloth and just kind of rub off some of the grease and maybe some of the dust of the world and just say, hey, I love you. And maybe you're today where you realize I'm not in Christ and I've not gone through the gate, but I wanna go from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. I want to receive Jesus. I don't know. But I wanna show, just to close, a diagram that's helpful for me. And I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna end with this. So in this diagram, I don't remember where I read this. I think it was a book. It might've been a class. It has stuck with me. The originator who created it, I'm sorry, you don't get credit because I don't remember who you are. So if you recognize this diagram, please tell me and I'll give them credit because it has really helped me. On the top of the graph is what you value. And on the bottom is what you don't value. And before you're in Christ, your sin or your idols or your weight, you know, another way I'd put it is your self-sufficiency is what you value, your independence. And the idea of God's grace is of little value to you. I don't need that. As we move, maybe we mature a little bit or maybe you feel like God's pursuing you over and over again. Maybe you feel like you're being chased a little bit. There becomes an intersection point where you stop running and you receive the grace of God and that is the decision for Christ. Now, for me, I did that when I was five, which I hope is a story of my children. Some of you might remember what it was like before then. So if someone comes to know Jesus, that is amazing. You are in Christ. Man, you have dual citizenship. You, I mean, all the blessings of the Father are with you, like a heavenly hope, a responsibility, a privilege. But what do you do after that? And that's kind of how I felt growing up in a Christian home. I was like, what, what do I do after that? But I think what the elder son journey realized is that it's, it keeps going. And the more that you live your life and you go to the other end that you see that line that says God's grace, you actually begin to value it more and more as you realize how much you're actually broken and how much you need God to reach your sin in the deepest ways. To the point, go to the next slide. 
that as you keep following Jesus, the cross, instead of it being like, I don't need that, just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And this payment that he's done just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And it starts to shift from God, what can I get away with and still be obedient to God? What can I give to you? What can I offer to you? What can I do for you? So I hope that's helpful for y'all. So just to summarize, God the Son is making us one by bringing us in Christ, redeemed through his blood and forgiven of sin. And just to close with that, with that star picture again, just thinking about, you know, with my kids and helping them see the stars for the first time, I just want us again to say, Lord, would you open the eyes of our hearts to receive afresh the beauty of what you've done so that whether we are, you know, like Paul in a situation where we probably should be, you know, writing SOS or a pity party, that we feel like there's strength coming from within us. There's, there's this hope that's bursting forward and there's wonder in our eyes. So I'm gonna ask the band to, to come on up as we close. Man, I love God's word. Thank y'all for listening. Thank y'all for listening. I know that I was... Uh, going deep in one scripture. We were just in one scripture, really. First Corinthians, uh, Ephesians 1, 7. Um, but this is so important for us to get. So my encouragement for you is just to pray, God, what is my step from here? What's my step of obedience from here? Maybe it's just realizing that I'm in Christ and just meditating on that. Maybe it's thinking about the price that Jesus paid through his blood. Maybe it's celebrating the forgiveness of sins and maybe it's taking a step saying, I need, I need God in my life and I'd like to come forward and make that decision today. Whatever that is, I just encourage you to respond to the Lord. So let's stand and we're gonna respond through singing. We're also gonna have our prayer prophetic team up here that is excited to pray with you. And I just encourage you, man, to move. We're a church that we don't just hear things, but we do things, we activate. And so whether that's, you know what, my response is to sing, my response is to journal, my response is to go to somebody and tell them, my response is to go up to the front and get on my knees, whatever that is, let's just recommit our lives afresh to the Lord. So Jesus, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for this beautiful, amazing design that all things are gonna be summed up under Christ. (laughs) And even though right now, That's not the case. Lord, that that is the hope that we can can build our, our future on. God, thank you. Thank you for who you are, Lord. We just want you to come and meet us here. So Holy Spirit, come, have your way. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.